Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, September 3rd, 2014. Yep, we will be doing our light episode today. Sorry that it's a short week. For tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically and help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and compare the messages that are coming from popular pastors, preachers, conference speakers and authors and folks that were told by the evangelical industrial complex that we need to be listening to, we need to be buying their books, we need to be, yeah, you get what I'm saying. Um, We actually compare their messages to what God's Word says in context. This is all about learning biblical discernment, which will ultimately require that you learn something about your Bible and what it says and what it doesn't say, and something about how to rightly handle God's Word, you know, proper, sound, biblical hermeneutics, and uh, and how to be a good Berean and compare what people are saying to what God's Word says when we investigate it and read it in context. One of the ways we do this here at Fighting for the Faith is every Wednesday we have a light episode. That doesn't mean the topic is light. No, the topic oftentimes, oftentimes is heavy. But the thing that it's heavy with is, uh, well, a singular good topic. And we've been working our way through a series of Sunday school lessons, lectures, uh, presented by Pastor Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. And Pastor Ron Hodel, as you will hear, if you haven't already been listening to his uh, sermons as he's been exegeting his way through the book of 1 Corinthians, is just a humble, faithful pastor with a biblical text in front of him, helping people understand what this text says and what it means in context. He's not pulling verses out of context and weaving together, you know, this bizarre self-help kind of theology. Nope, he's just, you know, faithfully, soberly, non, well, not in a way that makes a lot of waves, just, uh, well, this is what the text says, here's what it means, and, and works his way through it. This is all part of the biblical discernment training that we offer here at Fighting for the Faith, so that you can identify just good, sound, biblical exegesis. So without any further ado, here is Pastor Ron Hodel and the next installment in his uh, series 
on the book of 1 Corinthians. Here we go. All right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and begin. We're going to look at chapter 10 today. And uh, to keep it all in context, let's go ahead and I'll read the, I'll read the chapter. <clears throat> it's not very long, really. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual, spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpent, by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor." Eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat what is, whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I participate, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of what, because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink 
or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that but but that of many that they may be saved be imitators of me as i am of christ <clears throat> all right um the first five verses kind of serve as a as a little section and and uh, so let me just uh, reread reread that short section for i want you to know brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into moses in the cloud and the sea and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual drink, and all ate all drank all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Okay. Um Paul ended his last chapter uh talking about the fact that he was very well aware that complacency on his part could cause him to forfeit the, the heavenly prize. He didn't want to be disqualified, he said. Um, so being disqualified is very serious business for Paul. And so now Paul turns to the Corinthian congregation and he shows them that the same kind of danger um, exists for them too. That they too could be disqualified and that's the last thing that Paul wants for for the Corinthians, and of course, the last thing he wants for himself. So Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. Um, and he often uses that phrase to introduce something new and important. He does it with the Romans. He does it here in 1 Corinthians. He does it again in 2 Corinthians. He does it with the, with the Thessalonians in 1 first, uh, in first Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. Well, of what? Okay, so that's the, it's, he's, he's, that's his way of turning the page and letting you know it. Um, and what Paul does is he, he leaves the imagery of those Isthmian games that uh, the athletes participate in. He leaves that imagery behind and he brings in the imagery of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, the congregation at Corinth was, was mostly a Gentile congregation. Now, certainly there were Jews there. Um, but still he says, our fathers... Um, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud. And I think the point he's making when he says our fathers is he's saying that Gentiles have been grafted into the vine. See, Abraham is not only the father of Israel. He's the father of all believers, um, either Jew or Gentile. He's the father of the true Israel which uh, is, uh, of course, the Christian church, those who believe in Christ. And, and in these short verses, in, in four verses, he uses the word all five times. Um, and what he's pointing out uh, is that all, or the whole nation, received God's grace uh, objectively. Regardless of anything about you, you received God's gift of salvation by crossing through the Red Sea. Um, it, it, it happened completely apart from you. God is the one who gave it to you. All of you received it. And, and, and that's kind of the objective thing. Now, a little bit later on, he's going to talk subjectively uh, the, the fact that many failed to receive and respond to God's gifts that were given to them. 
All right. But objectively, he starts off and says, all were under the cloud. Um, that's not uh, what happens to you in the morning after a party on the night before. All right. Um, but what he's talking about there is all were under the cloud of God's glorious presence, God's amazing power. You remember the children of Israel as they journeyed through the, 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 uh, the Sinai, as they left Egypt, went through the Red Sea, journeyed through the Sinai, and they were uh, led by a cloud uh, that, that led the children of Israel by day and a pillar of fire that led them by night. And the cloud, and in the cloud and in the sea, God protected them and he provided for them. Exodus chapter 13 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. Um, that doesn't mean that they walked for 40 years. All right, um, Just when they walked, God, God led them, and sometimes that cloud would stop, and that's where they would stay. Um, but in the cloud, God protected them. Um, the psalmist talks about the cloud as a covering to protect them. Uh, from, from Psalm 105, he spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. The people were under this protective canopy of the Lord, you know, this, the Lord's umbrella. Uh, they were, they were underneath that and God provided his protection for them. And then he said, all passed through the, the, the Red Sea. Um, Exodus chapter 14 says that the Red Sea became a protective wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Um, all, they were like Noah. They were all saved through water. Okay? Water that saved them destroyed evil and sin that was chasing them through that water when it collapsed on, on Pharaoh and his, his troops. All were, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Is what Paul says. Now, what does Paul mean when he talks about being baptized, that Israel was baptized into Moses? Well, in a sense, um, to be baptized into someone makes you a part, a part of that person, in a sense. Um, it makes you a follower of that person. It makes you a possess, a, a possession of that person. Um, but even more than that, when Paul talks about the children of Israel being uh, baptized into Moses in cloud and sea, he's saying that the Israelites were made to share in the same destiny as Moses. So in other words, Moses personifies the people of Israel. It's almost like a priestly thing being done by Moses. Moses represents the people of Israel before God. Um, uh, Remember when, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, he, uh, he embodied all of Israel as he went up on that mountain. All of Israel didn't have to go up on that mountain. Moses did. And it was as if God was speaking to all of Israel. And when Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai, it's all of Israel that receives the law. Um, you know, the children of Israel couldn't say, well, Moses, that's really nice, but they, they didn't give the Ten Commandments to us. They gave them to, God didn't give them to, to us. He gave them to you. You know, no, God gave them to Moses and it's as if he gave them to all of Israel. And so when Paul says that Israel was baptized into Moses, he's saying that Israel was pledged to the same fate as Moses. Now, for us, when you're baptized into Jesus, you share in the same fate as Jesus. You're identified with him. You're identified in him. 
It's not that you carry a, a card that says you're Christian. Rather, now your identity is 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 with with Christ. You die with Him. You're raised with Him. The whole section in Romans chapter six. So to be baptized into Moses means that what happened to Moses happened to them. Um, not that Moses could save them, certainly, but Moses trusted God and was saved. And Israel, like Moses, trusted God and were saved. Um, so in a, in a way, uh, what Moses is here is he's a, a type of Christ. Type meaning something in the Old Testament that points forward to something greater in the New. That's going to come up again a little bit later on. Um, so Moses is the mediator of the Old Covenant. And now Christ is the greater mediator of the new covenant. Um, So just as Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea and emerged a new people, they were saved from slavery, the same thing has happened to us. We pass through the waters of the font and we emerge a new people saved from slavery to sin and death. So all all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, uh, and they drank the spiritual or miraculous water that came from the rock. So just as Israel received kind of, if you will, a, a, a type of baptism in the cloud and in the sea, they also received a type, if you will, of the Lord's Supper. They all received manna, um, the grain from heaven. Uh, the psalmist calls it uh, the bread of angels. Bread of angels. And because it rained from heaven, the psalmist says, God called that man a spiritual food. Um, Moses calls it spiritual food. Um, the psalmist, Psalm uh, 78, verse 24 says, And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. And so if manna was their spiritual food, the water the Israelites drank from the rock was their spiritual drink. Um, Israel drinks from water that comes from this rock in the wilderness twice. Uh, it's recorded in, in Exodus chapter 17 and then again in Numbers chapter 20. And according to the Song of Moses in, in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 20, uh, 32, it says, This rock, this rock found him. This rock found him, found Israel. Um, but imagine a rock finding something. I thought rocks just sit there. You know, this rock found Israel in a desert land. He, referring to the rock, he nursed him, nursed Israel with honey from a cliff, with oil from flinty rock, curds from the herd, and milk from the flock. So, even Moses there, he personifies this rock. This rock just isn't a rock. This rock is, is a person. And, and from Moses, uh, we learn that the rock, as we look at, see that in Deuteronomy 32, the rock is Yahweh. The rock is Yahweh. And now Paul calls Christ the rock. Um, the rock that accompanied Israel through the desert. Um, so what, what Paul does is he identifies Jesus in that verse, as Yahweh. And the rock was Christ, giving the children of Israel life-giving water. Um, 
and uh, of course from the analogy of the rock uh from uh, uh you know giving spiritual drink you can kind of take that and and uh head toward wine in in the in the lord's supper um so what paul does here is he describes how all the israelites received all of god's spiritual gifts they all received it objectively they were there um but then he changes course and he says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Well, these are, these are the ones we look to, our fathers, you know. And now he says, of most of them, God was not pleased. And most of them didn't uh, reach the promised land. Of the adults who were over 20 uh, at the time of, uh, at the, at the, at the, basically at the very beginning of this exodus, only two of them entered the promised land, Caleb and Joshua, only two. Um, the rest, uh, the rest of the adults died in the wilderness. Their children made it into the promised land, but they didn't. Um, so, uh, if you remember the story, but Joshua and Caleb, uh, along with other spies went into the promised land and uh, they saw that it was a land of milk and honey. And, uh, they brought back, uh, just abundant, uh, blessings from the land. But of course, most of the, most of the, um, the spies said, there'd be giants in the land. You know, uh, we, we can't possibly take this land. And, and Caleb and Joshua said, well, yeah, there are giants in the land. I mean, this is, these people are, they're strong, but God is with us. So let's go. He hasn't, he hasn't let us down yet. Um, and, uh, the people, uh, of Israel go with the other spies and say, no, we're not going to take our chances. And for not trusting God. Then they ended up uh, wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Um, and what Paul is doing here is he's warning the Corinthian congregation to not be like the Israelites and for, and, and forfeit through unfaithfulness and forfeit through false worship the salvation that has been given them. Don't forfeit it. I'm afraid of being disqualified. Chapter nine. You, sh- that should concern you too, he says. Because you can be disqualified. Um, so his warning is, is clear. If Israel, our fathers, who had received God's grace, failed to make it to the promised land, then the same thing can happen to you, he says. Um, their penalty for disbelief, their penalty for grumbling was severe. They died on the journey to the, to the promised land. And so uh, what Paul's saying is the same thing is, is true for you Corinthians. He's called you to faith. He's provided perfectly and wonderfully for you. But if you fall into the same sins that old Israel did, you can expect the same punishment that old Israel received. And so God's actions in the Old Testament and God's actions in the New Testament are, they're one piece. Um, uh, it's almost like the Old Testament uh, times are kind of a, an advanced presentation of how he now acts in the fulfillment of the ages. And he's going to be talking about that a little bit later on. Okay, 6 through uh, 13. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what Paul does here is he takes five um, illustrations, five examples uh, of, of why most of the children of Israel ended up dying in the, in the desert. He chooses five stories from the life of Israel that, in Paul's mind, relate to what's going on in Corinth at the time. And he says, these were examples to them, but they were written for our instruction. Um, and what he's basically saying is, you guys, you Corinthians, are prone to the same things as old Israel was. And the first illustration that Paul uses uh, happened when Israel left Mount Sinai. Some of them craved uh, the, the meat and the vegetables of, of Egypt, and they despised the manna that God sent to them. Um, now, the Lord had sent meat, um, quail, in, in quite abundance. Um, you know, But what did the people do? They, uh, they, without a single thanks be to God, simply gathered it up in a greedy way, more than they could possibly consume. Uh, from Numbers chapter 11, it tells us that those who gathered least, those who gathered least, gathered ten homers. Uh, that's not Homer Simpson. That's uh, a homer. Uh, that's that's sixty bushels of quail. That's the guy who gathered the least, gathered 60 bushels. What are you going to do with 60 bushels of quail? You know? Um, and in response, uh, the Lord struck many with a plague. So many that uh, they ended up naming the place Graves of Greediness. That's what your town means. Graves of Greediness. <laughs> you want to move there? <laughs> All right. Oh, thanks. Um, uh not that the food that the that God had provided for them was evil, but they failed to trust that, that God was there for them all the time. They despised in the end, they despised the quail, the, the food that God gave to them. They said, you know what, we prefer slavery in Egypt, we prefer idolatry, we prefer impurity to the true freedom that God gives us and the worship of the one true God. That's what they were saying. We want to go back to Egypt, where we had meat and vegetables and slavery and idolatry and impurity. You know? um, and that, uh, I, I love what, what Paul does here. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. Christ, New Testament, to the test as some of them did. So Christ isn't like a, Jesus isn't a New Testament invention. Um, he's been there all along. The second person of the Holy Trinity. Um, so they coveted that meat. Um, the, the, yeah, yeah, the Corinthians. How's that kind of apply to them? You know, they coveted the meat of the, of the temple sacrifices. They wanted that. I want to exercise my right and eat that meat of the temples in the temp, from the temple idol sacrifices. Um, and I covet that more than I covet the fact that, uh, my doing it and throwing it in Daniel's face, who's a weak Christian, is going to challenge his faith. I don't care. I want the meat. I'm sorry. I, he's not a weak Christian. He's very strong. Um, uh, so Paul warns him, don't do that. The Israelites did it back then. They got death for it. You don't want to do that. 
Um, and the second illustration Paul uses is the idolatry of Israel when they worship the golden calf. Um, Moses, as you remember, was up on Mount Sinai. They hadn't seen hide nor hair of him for many, many days. They figured he was dead. And uh, Aaron, to kind of keep the people in line, he he builds an altar because they asked for it. He builds an altar uh, before the, the golden calf that he had fashioned from the people's jewelry. And, and he proclaimed a feast to the Lord. Um, and uh, and the Israelites made offerings as they off do, and then they engaged in sexual immorality, which they uh, learned in Egypt. And God's, resp- God's response to that was, uh, he turns to Moses and he says, Moses, I have had it up to here with these children of Israel. I'm going to kill them all off, and I'm going to start over with your family. I like your family. You know? And, uh, and Moses there, Moses intercedes for Israel. He stands between, if you will, he stands between God and Israel and says, God, you can't do that. What will all of the other nations think of you if you do that? You're a promise breaker. That's what they'll think of you. You can't let them think that about you. You can't destroy all of Israel. You made a promise. And and so Moses acts as a mediator. He acts like a a Christ-like figure on behalf of, of Israel. And Fortunately, only 3,000 lost their, their lives that day uh, in Israel. Um, and as Paul looks at that incident, he sees a direct tie between this event out of Israel's past, um, where they had fallen into temptation, the temptation of sitting down and eating in honor of an idol, and the Corinthians, who were comfortable reclining and eating and drinking in an idol's temple. Um, and just as the worship of the golden calf led to sexual immorality for the Israelites, uh, well, we just heard not too long ago in chapters before this that uh, some of the Corinthians were found guilty of of incest and visiting the temple prostitutes and on and so forth. So this uh, this example out of the Old Testament ties to what's going on for us guys in Corinth, uh, Paul is saying. Pulls on a little bit of a roll here, so he comes up with a third example, and this one involves Balaam. Um, I don't know if you remember the story of Balaam. Balaam was a was an oracle who uh, would uh, w- was hired by the king of Moab. His name was Balak, and uh, Balak knew that he couldn't stop Israel. That wasn't gonna. He didn't have the strength in his army to do that. So what do you do? You get an oracle who's a really good oracle, and you get him to put a curse. On Israel, and that'll stop them. All right. And so, uh, the, the only problem is whenever Balaam tries to curse Israel, a blessing comes out of his mouth. And that makes his employer angry because that's not what he's getting paid for. And, but every time he tries to, to curse Israel, a blessing comes out. And so after three times, uh, he basically learns, I better shut up. Um, cause I'm just going to keep blessing Israel and keep cursing uh the the moabites and uh so uh Balaam knows he's going to lose his his uh his 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 check if uh if he doesn't do something so he says you know what Balak this is the way that you get the children of Israel i i can't curse them i i it's just not going to happen but let me tell you how to entice them to sin let their men see the foreign women and uh, they'll follow those women straight into the idol temples. Um, that's the way you can get them. They'll curse themselves that way. And that's exactly what 
what happened. Um, if you can't defeat Israel by cursing them, then get the men to go after the foreign women, and uh, the same thing will happen. Uh, they will cause Israel to stumble. And remember, that's kind of a theological word for falling out of faith. Okay? To scandalon in the Greek. To, to stumble and fall. Uh, uh, to fall out of faith. Um, and by that, Israel will curse itself. Um, St. John brings this up in, in, in Revelation from chapter 2. Uh, he writes, um, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice immorality. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, the balance of today's lesson on the book of 1 Corinthians. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Men, this egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. To arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, let's keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to your Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side, and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. 
Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furtick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Uh, hang on, <clears throat> let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose! Let loose the cannons! But, but we're not within silence! If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I'd say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! Ha! You call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why, why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who we surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready? Aim. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! With you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back! We, we, we can't lose! We have God on our side! We shall prevail! We will! Well, that was surprisingly easy! Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Roseborough here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church when you realize ah, it's all about glitz over substance. Really what's supposed to be happening in the church, no glitz, lots of substance. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button right there on the website. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh-huh, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. And, of course, if you haven't picked up your uh, 2014 Pirate Christian Radio T-shirt yet, uh, you can do so by going to fightingforthefaith.com. And at the top of the page, it says Bake Sale. Click on that, and you can see how you can order your T-shirt. And then we go send, we'll send that out to ASAP. So... Let's continue today with uh, our lesson from Pastor Ron Hodel as he works his way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Here we go. After that incident, the Lord was angry at Israel, uh, sent a plague. Uh, 24,000 died in the wilderness. Uh, And this was even as they are on the gates. They are at the gates of the promised land. 
It's there. The gates have swung open and they still go and do this kind of thing. All right. So Paul warns the Corinthians don't fall into the same trap. Uh, with the Holy Spirit living within them, they were to live holy lives. They were to avoid unholy things. Um, and from this illustration, the Corinthians should have been able to see that idolatry and immorality is going to bring down God's judgment. Um, and they should stay far away from it. And one of the places this is all happening is in these temples. Um, the next example uh, involves Israel's impatient complaining. Um, it's uh, from Numbers chapter twenty, twenty-one. Uh, has the, uh, the it's the the story of the bronze serpent, where where uh, the children of Israel are grumbling, grumbling and complaining against God and against Moses. And uh, God allows poisonous serpents to come into the camp and bite people, and people are dying. And uh, Moses intercedes for the people. He's the Christ-like mediator, always between God and the people. And uh, God tells Moses, okay, erect a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and uh, whoever, tell, whoever looks at that bronze serpent will live. All right? And it wasn't the, the flash of the sun off the polished bronze that killed the serpents or something like that. No. What it was was if you trust, well, when Moses says, you've gotten bit, you're going to die. And Moses says, trust me, look at the bronze serpent and you'll live. If you say, I'll trust you, I'm going to look at the bronze serpent. Okay? You'll live. If you say, you know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Moses. I need to get to a doctor. That's what I really need. Um, well, so it had to do with trusting the promise of God. And those who trusted God's promise lived. All right. So, um, so uh, they. Uh, what do we want to say about that? Um, they grumbled. They were grumbling, and I'm sure that Paul, the apostle Paul, heard his fair share of grumbling in the congregation there in Corinth. Um, so uh, he, he warns them against grumbling against God's, God's servant. And then the fifth example, again, Israel grumbles in the wilderness uh, against God and against Moses. Um, and you, know, you kind of get this idea that Israel did a lot of grumbling in the wilderness. And I think Paul probably has a specific incident in mind when he talks about this one. Um, we're just not exactly sure which incident it is. Uh, commentators are kind of divided between the two. Some thinks it some think it's out of Numbers 14 when the spies returned and the and the and the children of Israel grumbled against Moses and said we can't go into the Promised Land there be giants in the land and and on and so forth we need to get back to Egypt where we belong. Um, some think it's that um, and uh, they cry against Moses and against Aaron and others think it's a reference to Numbers chapter 16 where the earth swallows up a man by the name of Korah and the people who held company with him. And this again was the result of Israel grumbling. Um, if it's Korah, um, well, either one, it, it kind of works, but uh, it applies to the Corinthian congregation in this way. God is, God has appointed Moses as their leader. All right. Um, and I think what Paul's pointing out is that if the Corinthians continue to grumble against the apostolic authority that has been granted to Paul, by the Lord, they risked the same fate as Israel did when they grumbled against the authority of Moses. 
all right, that God had given to, that God had given to Moses. Um, and so, you know, you can kind of see how that, that might end up, you know, relating to the Corinthian congregation, even to us today. Uh, what, what, what lies in store for us if we grumble against the authority of scripture? I don't like this. I'm going to, I'm just going to tear it out. I did that once, by the way. It was very effective. Um, I hope you can be forgiven for it. Um, we were having an argument over a, a certain passage in scripture and, uh, this wasn't at this congregation. And, and I, and I was there and, and I just said, you know what? Let's just solve the problem. I just tore the page out of the Bible and the, threw it away. Now we don't have to deal with it. Well, you can't do, well, we got to deal with it. You know, <laughs> it's there. It's there. Um, I haven't done that again. Uh, you do a lot of things when you're a younger pastor that you really are kind of sorry you did. Um, you know, what happens when we, um, not, not saying this in a self-serving way, but what happens when you know you go to church and then uh, go home and have pastor for lunch? You know, grumble. Um, especially if the, the pastor's you know, uh, proclaims faithfully the scriptures. Um, Korah claimed that all the Israelites were just as holy as Moses and Aaron. Right? Um, and that'd be kind of the same as saying, uh, all the, the, the fact of the priesthood of all believers makes the pastoral office unnecessary, despite what God says. Um, or that we can assume the pastoral office without a divine call, which is what Korah did. All right? So um, Paul says all these examples were, they, they were all examples to the children of Israel, um, uh, but they're written for our instruction. Um, and the, the word example there is the, is the, the Greek word uh, uh, type, um, antitypon. It's, it's a prefigurement um, of how God chooses to oppose those who oppose him. Um, all this was written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come, he says. Uh, Paul uh, And Paul's point is, we who live in the last days should learn from these examples. Um, uh, he says, take heed lest you fall. Um, and he says, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Yes. Usually when we think of the, the that whole end of the ages has come, it's kind of like we get the end of time kinds of things in our minds, the end of all things, the end of the world. But here, most probably what Paul's talking about is for us, for whom the end of the ages has come, it's like we are living in two worlds now. We have a foot in this world and we're there. But we have also, by virtue of the Lord calling us to faith, we have a foot in the next, the world to come. And we're kind of in both worlds. The end of the ages has come. And there's this interface between time and eternity. And you're in the middle of it. And in the middle of it, he says, um, uh, we must guard ourselves against presumption and, and listen to moral exhortation. Um, but on the other hand, because we also belong to the new age, um, you know what God has in store for the world. The Old Testament picture is, you're a friend of the king. You're not a servant who just does what the Lord says. Um, he says, jump and you say how high. Okay. A friend of the king has permission to come into the king's presence. The king, the, a friend of the king is somebody whom the king would share 
you know, what's going on, what his plan is. He, he would listen, the, the king would listen to his friends as they give, as they give advice. Uh, and so, so what Paul's saying is, is, uh, we have God's full disclosure. We're a friend of the king. Um, he's disclosed to us things that the other world doesn't know. Um, we have access to this amazing divine grace in Christ. And so take seriously Paul's warnings. Um, and yet on the other hand, uh, uh, don't be complacent. Don't be overconfident. Don't be cocksure. Um, whoever thinks he uh, stands, uh, standing, watch out lest you fall. Um, but on the other hand, uh, whenever temptations come, and they're going to come, just as part of being a, a Christian and a human being, remember, God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond your powers. Uh, and since God's purpose uh, is uh, in all that we go through to mature us, to take us to heaven, we're going to bear up under those temptations. We're not going to suffer. We're not going to suffer destruction. And God's going to create an exit path along the way. Um, so he's kind of talking about two different things here. Uh, the need, the, the, the two sins that we need to resist. Um, presumption, that we're so strong that nothing can get to us. And despair, that there's no place to go. And so, uh, to the strong in Corinth, he, he, uh, uh, he has something to say, and to the weak in Corinth, he has something to say. To those who are suffering under temptation and get the idea that their temptation is is worse than everybody else's, Paul uh, Paul replies, "No, it's uh, common to everybody. Uh, it's simply a part of being a human being." And to the despairing, Paul says, "You don't need to despair. In other words, there there there, you, you don't need to say there is no way out." Okay, you don't, you, don't, you don't need to say that because God's intention is not to destroy us. It's to strengthen us. Um, and the escape might be that he takes us to heaven. Um, but, you know, when you think about it that way, the worst thing that can happen to you is the best thing that can happen to you. So don't despair. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to it's bothersome. Yes, indeed. But don't despair. God's got it well in hand. And you can count on God's faithfulness. Um, God can keep you from falling, as he said, in, as Jude says. Um, let's just go ahead and open it up there. Any, any comments or questions in that? Yeah. There, hang on just for the mic here. Did the Israelites lose their salvation or did they just lose their lives? And how does that relate to like Romans chapter 6 when they're talking about God's sovereign choice? Anybody else have any other questions? <laughs> there are special places reserved it. No. Um, we don't really, we can't really say whether, whether uh, all of them lost their salvation, okay? Or whether God took them before they did lose their salvation. Korah, we probably could. You know, kind of. I, I don't. Want, I, I can't judge this. Is what I, I guess what I'm saying. I can't. I can't be the judge of this. I don't know what God did at that point of death with these people. All right. So I think the warning is simply to us. These are danger. These are. You're walking in uh, in in dangerous area when you walk where the Corinthians wanted to walk. So so whether they just died or whether they lost their salvation, you know what? Let's listen to the warning and just not even go there. I, I think that's where he's where he's going. 
and, uh, um, yeah, uh, and, and, then, yeah, we get into the whole, um, th- that whole picture of, of God, God's, you know, the predestination or the uh, predestined simply that, that we as Christians would look at that and say, God, that, that, that whole doctrine there is to give us hope and strength and comfort, uh, as opposed to trying to figure out who's in and who's out. So, so if I'm struggling and wrestling with my faith, I'm a weak Christian. Um, Paul would come to me and say, God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. It has nothing to do with how strong or weak you are feeling because God's the one who's got you. Okay. So it's to give you strength in those weak times when you wonder whether can God even forgive this? You know, and, and to Paul say, Paul saying to you, He's called you from before the foundation of the world. Um, know who you are, baptized child of, of God. Um, so that's where I want to. Uh, that's where I go with that. Yeah, Pastor, maybe you can help me out. I I don't quite remember what Cora did exactly, and I, I I didn't quite catch whether you you said that. I I, I kind of remember something about someone offering strange sacrifices, and then there was another story about the children of Israel trying to go, even though God said they couldn't go into the promised land is, is one of those cases or uh, what, what did Korah do? exactly? Korah was rebelling against Moses authority. He said, we don't need you. We're all Israelites. Uh, we don't need a leader. Um, uh, we're equal to you, Moses and to you, Aaron. Um, and, and he, he gathered quite a following. And so he was opposing God's appointed leader. Uh, and for that, um, the ground opened up and swallowed him and his family and those who were following him. Um, and, uh, yeah. I don't say that in a self-serving way. Um, you grumble. Uh, there's probably plenty you can grumble about me. That, that You keep the board of elders. Yeah. The ground will open up and swallow you. <laughs> So don't ask any hard questions. Okay, I don't want the ground to swallow me, but I have a question. Okay, I love seeing Moses as a mediator, like as Christ ultimately is. And we know that Moses was a sinful guy. And so there's the law that was given at Sinai, and there was the Holy Land that was promised. And that there's a covenant that God has with Israel and they assumed the, the the curses, so that's one covenant. And then it pointed forward to a better covenant with that Christ was the greater Moses, right? So, but when we talk about that being the new covenant, and then in Galatians it talks about that you know the the covenant with Abraham couldn't be nullified because it was ratified by God. Isn't in a way the covenant we have through Christ the oldest covenant? Isn't it go back to Abraham, or am I wrong about that? Oh, I would say, you know, that it's all tied up in that. Sure. Sure. I mean, God's, God's, God's got all this in mind when, when all this is happening with Abraham. Okay. And it just starts to get, become more and more and more clear as, as God reveals his will to us and his ways to us and what he's chosen to do. Um, and so, sure, sure. Okay. Yes. But there is a way of apostasy, right? Mm-hmm. So well, that's his. One, that's why he's there. Is there is a way of 
Yeah, go ahead. There's a way of apostasy, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. And that's his warning to these, to the Corinthians. Because the, the wise Corinthians, although they've, their, their argument is sound. And Paul totally agrees with their argument. You know, um, the, the, uh, um, where does he do that? Uh, I'm trying to find where he, where he agrees with them. Um, that an idol is nothing and food is food. Um, so what's the big deal? And he says, I totally agree with you. But on the other hand, there's some real dangers with that, with that argument as well. It could lead you down the primrose path into a very dangerous place where you do lose your faith, where you, where, where you, you start to combine, you know, the, 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 the worship of idols and the worship of God himself, uh, where you don't start seeing the difference, you know, um, all, it all leads to the same place anyway, you know, that kind of thing. So he's saying, be really careful because the, 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 re, the results of, of where you're going, although your argument is sound, um, can take you to a very dangerous place. So I thought that they were eating the, the meat from the idols but I thought they were actually participating in the worship. They weren't. They were just eating the meat, or were they doing both? I thought the problem was is that they were actually worshiping through eating the meat. Well, that's the point that he's going to start making. Okay, the, in chapter eight, there's two different things going on. In chapter eight, he, he's he's um, he's more concerned about uh, the strong damaging the weak. Okay, so he says. Uh, uh, he he agrees with the argument of, of the strong. An idol is nothing, and food is food. Um, but because that, because you, even though you know that, and that's true, if that's going to damage her faith, this weak Christian's faith, um, don't do it for the sake of the weak person. All right. But you're you're basically free. I understand, and I agree with you. We we don't want to be put back into a a world of slavery. All right. So that's where he goes in chapter eight. In chapter 10, he's not too concerned about the weak. What he's doing is, and let me tell you what can happen if you presume on your strengths. Um, it's going to, it's very able to lead you into a very dangerous place. And so he says, flee idolatry. Um, yeah, we go to eat at the temple, whether, whether they were participating in some sort of worship service or if it was just, Somebody throws a party, it's at the temple because they have a great big room that will house everybody. Um, just like people want to have a, a car, have a, a big party, a member of the congregation says, say you want to have a party, and uh, you know the, uh, we say, go right ahead, go ahead and use Agape Hall. And other people come, you know, you're just having a party there, and maybe they're Buddhists, but they come, okay? Um, that that's kind of the situation that was going on there. And they just simply say, we're going to a party at the, te- at the temple, but it has nothing to do with worship. Okay. We're just eating. And some of the food that's been sacrificed there or we're eating has been sacrificed to idols. Um, so what? It's just food. I mean, idols are nothing. Um, and, and Paul on the one hand says, be careful. That doesn't damage the weak person. And on the other is this might just start dragging you right back into the temple and you lose your salvation. So, yeah, two different things that he does here. Morning, Pastor. Let's uh, bring it to current day, perhaps. Um, something just, one of my pet peeves that you reminded me of was the uh, all roads lead to the same place. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing something you just said a moment ago. Um, in common, common practice today, uh, we have, for instance, marriage prayer breakfast 
oftentimes co-sponsored by an interfaith council. And I say interfaith, not inter-Christian council, but interfaith, where a breakfast is served. And if you're lucky, you just have a motivational speaker. (laughs) Because oftentimes, not all times, depending on one, and I'll point out one city, the city of Westminster, is not sponsored by the city, and it's always Christian. Uh-huh. And I believe it's the only one in the entire county that does that. Uh-huh. Uh, that being said, you could have a Buddhist monk lead the, lead the prayer before breakfast. You could have an imam. You could have an Indian war dancer. <laughs> Whatever it is, jumping around, waving a feather. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, could you just speak to that? Sure. <laughs> I tend not to go to those things because, no, and, and that's true. I tend not to go to those things because it could give the wrong impression that we all believe the same thing, um, that we're all the, the religious, uh, you know, uh, all religions are the same and it doesn't really matter who's speaking. So I don't go to those things. All right. Um, uh, uh, Pastor Rudy doesn't either. Um, and uh and that's that's the danger of syncretism or or uh you know participating with others giving and giving the idea that we all believe the same thing um as i said before it's not doctrine that divides it's false doctrine divides and so so um if it's all you know orthodox doctrine that's that's one thing but if it's but if false doctrine is being proclaimed then it's dividing us um uh the the and, and I'll just give some anecdotal things, um, uh, and, and probably get in trouble for it. But, um, uh, um, I remember being, uh, at seminary and, uh, um, somebody asked, can, can we as, as Lutherans, can we participate in like a Good Friday service? And they're thinking of the small town where all the churches get together and they have a Good Friday service. And um, small towns are very different from from big cities, number one. Um, but the professor, uh, the professor stopped and he thought and he said, well, as long as you preach... <laughs> And, you know, there's a, the danger in that is giving the impression that we're all the same. And, you know, the other hand, what he was saying was, you get the final word, you know, and, and it, and it comes from, from you. Um, there's, there's assets to that. There's liabilities to that. Um, uh, the other thing is, uh, that there, uh, there's, there's, I hesitate to jump down somebody's throat very quickly if they've gotten up to say something in some, some sort of public uh, 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 prayer thing and, and, you know, um, and that they had the courage to step in and, and, and do it. It's because it's always a whole lot easier to just sit in my office and do nothing, you know, um, because I don't want to cause offense or something like that, as opposed to take, taking the taking the chance of stepping in and, and saying something uh, and, and, you know, proclaiming, uh, proclaiming Christ in the presence of everyone as the one, the way, the, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. And there is no other, there is no other way um, to, to preach like that or to say something like that in a public setting. That'll be the last time you get invited 
Uh, but, uh, on the other hand, it does, it, you know, that that you have the courage to do that and where our guys and, and myself, I will say sometimes fail at, at living up to that courage that I, I repent of my lack of courage, just like the children of Israel had their lack of courage. And I received the forgiveness that Christ has given me. Um, and, and, uh, and, and go from there. So they're, they're hard issues. They're hard, hard issues. And they, they normally don't happen. They need, they need con, they need thought before they happen. Not, not, not when it happens. Uh, the, the, the shooting at, um, uh, Sandy Hook, that, that young pastor that was there, um, uh, uh, you know, that was a real challenge for me. He's brand new to the ministry, brand new to the ministry. And then there's the shooting at Sandy Hook. And, uh, um, the the questions over what he did or what he didn't do and those are those are really hard things to to react to without having given thought to them beforehand and usually we don't have the usually hindsight is 2020 and and uh it's very easy to to do things from the sidelines or say things from the sidelines but when you're stuck in the middle of those situations it's a real scary one and it's and it's a hard one um, but to try to be bold and, and unflinching and that Christ is the one, is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no salvation apart from him. You say that, um, that, you won't be invited back, but you're proclaiming Christ. Is that the most winsome way to proclaim Christ? I don't know. Um, but Okay, we are out of time. Um, and so uh, the Lord be with you. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. The grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>